you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The groundbreaking revolutionary experience for black techie startups and entrepreneurs is Afrotech World. Are you ready for the largest black tech conference of the year? Get ready to connect with the global community of 20,000 black innovators during a series of digital and in-person events with dynamic programming on emerging trends, networking opportunities with industry leaders, and conversations with top tech recruiters. It's Afrotech World 2021. Learn more at experience.afrotech.com. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech Green Money. So we are two weeks away from Afrotech World 2021, and we are planning like mad men and mad women. While we will have some live and in-person events, the bulk of the conference this year will be a digital experience. Much like last year at Afrotech World, but you know, we're always raising the bar. Last year in the virtual world, I met people from all over the world, from Cape Town to St. Louis, and I didn't have to wear a mask to get on the plane. While I do miss seeing all of you in person, that time will come again, but for now. And before we get into today's episode from one of our highest viewed Afrotech YouTube series ever, Term Sheets, Venture Capital in New York City, I wanted to share some memorable experiences from Afrotech days of yore. At Afrotech 2017 in San Francisco, California, Airbnb user experience designer Salih Abdul Karim is on an Afrotech breakout stage talking introductory pathways and insights into UX design. Let's listen in as he breaks down the best way to understand first what a UX designer actually does and what a designer needs to consider in order to be good at their job. I'm going to talk about what is UX design. This is what Wikipedia says. It says, it's the process of enhancing user satisfaction with a product by improving the usability, accessibility, and pleasure provided in the interaction with the product. 
as very abstract. In my mind, uh, it doesn't actually paint the whole picture. It's like saying that basketball is about putting a ball in a hoop. It's, a lot, it's, a, it's about offense. It's about defense. It's about matchups. It's about scheme. It's about the rules of the game. It's about so much more. So this definition, I think, gives you a, a, a small piece, but it doesn't dive into the meat of the actual thing. In order to get you all thinking about the meat of UX design, I'm going to relate it to something else. So all of us go to grocery stores. You go in with your list. You walk around the store with your cart. You fill it up. You get to the checkout. When you're at the checkout, there's this, a whole mini aisle of candy right where you are. And if you're anything like me, you're exhausted from shopping, so you figure you're going to just get some candy, and you're going to get the best candy in the world, which is a Twix. <laughs> Let's take a minute here. A Twix is a... No, I'm just playing. So you got your Twix. Next thing you're thinking, okay, if I go home with candy for me and none for my wife, I'm be in trouble, let me get something for her. Next thing you know, you bought more stuffing money in candy than you did in actual groceries. So, so who thought of this, putting candy at the checkout, right? Stores weren't always like this. There's a whole retail store industry focused on shoppers and how they navigate stores. And it started back in the 50s. I found this um, article written by William Applebaum it's called Studying Customer Behavior in Retail Stores. And even back then, they really sought to understand customer behavior, their buying patterns, who buys what, when, and how. It has sections that talk about the identification of customers, trying to figure out who the customers are, not just their buying patterns, their age, their sex, their group, their educational status, their nationality, and so on. There's even a section called the origin of customers, which asks questions like, where do a store's customers come from? What is the geographic distribution from their home, and how far do they have to travel to get to the store? And it even talks about how to observe, interview, and conduct experiments in the store to gain data. And this is back in the 50s. So this paragraph here talks about uh, following customers around the store to observe various patterns. Now, when I was younger, I got followed around in a lot of stores. Maybe they were doing data. Maybe I got it twisted. <clears throat> but seriously, the paper is really fascinating. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. You can check it out online. But just imagine that you have an empty space, and you're going to build a grocery store. You get to decide everything you get to decide what's the first thing that a customer sees when they walk in a door. Where are we gonna put the chips? What is that checkout? You can decide everything, where it is, why it's there. And the only way you can do that is if you truly understand your customer. And a UX designer does the exact same thing, except it's in a digital device. And at Afrotech 2017, Ben Silverman, Founder and CEO at Pinterest took to the main stage to talk about leadership and teamwork. 
Pinterest is the 14th largest social network in the world and ranks ahead of Twitter and active users according to the Global State of Digital 2021. I mean, I think the first thing is, especially in a lot of like business books, there's this, uh, they kind of make the founder the hero. When, when actually everything that was ever worthwhile being built was built by a lot of talented people with different talents. And so really early on, like me and my co-founder understood that. And so putting together a team of people that had different skills than us was like top priority. And honestly, I feel really lucky. I, I, told, I told my whole company this yesterday, the whole company, I was like, I, I think the greatest perk of starting a company has been I get to work with people with all these different talents. Um, and so that, that, I think that comes through. People know when you really value them for what they have to offer and what they have to build. And then in terms of philosophy, you know, I think there are a few things that I always really believe. You know, one is I love companies uh, and projects that, that bring really different skill sets together uh, to achieve something that no one individually could have done. So I loved when I was a kid reading about uh, Bell Labs in New Jersey. They had like physicists, material scientists, engineers, business people, marketers. I love the company Pixar. You know, Pixar has got animators and artists and storytellers and merchandisers. Um, and so we really value building these teams with very different, very different skill sets. And then if you do that, then the trick is how do you get all these people with different skill sets to work together? Uh, and at our company, we have a philosophy called knitting. It's kind of one of our core values. And we try to select for people that we think will be good at working with people that have different skill sets and backgrounds. So we select uh, for people explicitly who are curious about learning. Uh, we explicitly select for people that can communicate what they do to people that may not be familiar with their discipline. Uh, we select against people that are really arrogant, uh, even though some of them are really talented because when you put them in a team, the team starts to break down. And so we really cherish that, we talk about it a lot. If you look at our teams, they're super cross-functional. Uh, and then the last thing is we try to build a culture where you can remove all of the things that shouldn't matter at work, but matter, right? If you can remove all the friction, if you can create an environment where people can just focus on bringing their talent to work rather than all the other bullshit that you have to deal with, um, I think people will do their best work and they'll rise to that. And that's not easy to do. I don't think we've 100% cracked that, but it's an aspiration that you could just go in and only worry about what you're building and be excited to build it with people. And I think that would be an amazing place that I would want to work. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search 
is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Term Sheets. Afrotech miniseries available on YouTube about venture capital in New York City. February 2020. Maisha Leak is at the time an investor at Human Ventures, a New York City-based startup studio and venture capital firm. Today, she continues in her gift working with startups on their business strategy, M&A opportunities, and operations. She also works with corporate innovation teams, building entrepreneur and residence programs, and identifying founders aligned with investment theses. We talked in her Manhattan office about everything from investing with an idea to make the world a better place, and not just about a dollar, to startup hubs outside of Silicon Valley and New York City. emphasize the C in capitalist. So I just want to be clear. I care about the world. I am not, but I am a capitalist. You know, I think it's, this is not, I don't like to align myself with these people because even though they're icons of American history, they also do terrible things to human beings. But it's sort of like the Carnegie or Rockefeller mindset, right? Like the idea that you can prioritize building great industry and know that you have an obligation to the broader community, right? Um, we straddle that line in that some of our companies, our companies are solving problems uh, for corporations, for customers, and they also happen to have a social good impact, right? There's a way to like, to, to do the, to solve a problem that's affecting people in mass and let the, co- the commercial outcome be one of the motivators and it still do good, right? I think that the challenge is that Many companies, I mentioned this to you before, were built for a very small, technology companies, for a very small group of people and their first world problems, right? 
there are actually more people that have myriad problems navigating the United States and their community and services and all that. And someone between the federal government that supports them, their own paycheck, they're willing to pay to have the friction taken out of their lives. So I don't think it's a, I don't think you're making a choice about social impact. I think that there are more social problems that you can uh, build technology to address that will uh, generate a return. It's hard for people to wrap their brain around it. I'm not going out there saying everyone should invest in social enterprises. I don't suggest that. I'm just saying that the options available. And it's actually not, you're not making a hard and fast choice all the time. Yeah. How much of your personal journey speaks to that? Because when, if I look at your resume, yeah. like you are either headed to government <laughs> professionally or even maybe even education, mm -hmm. if, if you were to look at it and look at it from that lens. How much of your personal you know, journey and career speaks to your ability to be more insightful about social impact and its relationship to capitalism? That's a great question. I think it's, um, I don't want to take too much credit for it. I think that a lot of people along the way pushed me to consider social impact as a core value for, my, for, for myself. And the reason why I describe it that way is that I grew up relatively poor and when I got the opportunity like, oh, I'm actually smart, I can do well on these tests, I bet you I can get into a good school, I was really focused on um, economic stability and not on impact. And along the way, people were saying, no, 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 you're bigger than that. It's not just about the money. Think about this thing over here. And so I think um, less of career and more mentors have been the influence about keeping that front of mind. When I was in Congress um, as chief of staff, I managed $54 billion of science and technology investments. It's like, oh, OK, I can see how it, how it stitches up nicely. But I never thought that I'd be in venture. I never thought I'd be in startups. I never thought any of those things would actually be a part of my life journey. Um, it's been really about being aggressive about how much time I have on this earth, the level of impact I want to make, the mark I want to leave, um, and pushing myself to consider what best is in, in all that I'm capable of. So that's really what those circuitous yeah. choices have been about. I see Amaisha at Afrotech mm -hmm. and I see you walking down the hall. Mm -hmm. What sort of thing gets your attention when you talk to founders and you're like, oh, that's interesting, we should talk. Yeah, so I approach this a little differently, um, primarily because I'm focused on the, the individual as the core of whether or not the business will be successful. And so I spend a lot of time trying to hear someone's personal story, which at first can feel off-putting and voyeuristic, but I'm listening for the journey traveled. I'm listening for that distance. I, 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 you know, not that everyone has to have a hard scrabble background, I don't believe that, um, but doing anything for the long term is going to require re resilience and sort of the breath training of a marathon runner. And the only way you can identify it is you know about the races they've run before they've met you. I think the other element is um, really clear vision about what they want to build. It doesn't all have to be sussed out, but I need to know this person has spent time with this idea and made choices about, you know, I'm a little two inches to the left, not two inches to the right on this idea, right? I think a lot of folks um, want to talk to someone with money the moment they've got an idea that a few of their friends have said, that sounds cool. I'm listening for the person who's delved a bit deeper. They've read five books on the subject matter. 
they've used their network to find uh, two engineers that would help them tinker a little bit. Like they're doing the work mm -hmm. because that's what's going to take. And so that's what I'm listening for when I first when I first meet an entrepreneur. That sounds, in my experience, a lot like an angel investor who mm -hmm. comes in super duper early yeah. before there's a product market fit, mm -hmm. a defined market for this. And what is the difference to you based on that thesis um, between a VC and an angel investor? And how should founders be thinking right. about so that? So the thing to think about for me, um, I've only done early stage. Even in Washington, a lot of the early um, work that we've invested in, um, the best they've got is a peer review paper that's indicating that. So I've only played in that space where I'm trying to have a conversation, understand the limited resources that I have, and figure out where should this fit in the broader portfolio. Um, I, so I don't do, I'm not, oh, you know, you know, looking at product market fit and like how they're growing their customer. I don't do that as much. So that's a bias toward background for me. Um, there's, the, there's the rhetoric around how um, it's easier to construct a better deal if you play this early. But I'm actually more interested because I like to meet founders at this stage even if I'm not investing in them, even if we don't do business together, I like to be in their world and journey um, for, for as long as they're, as they're building. So it's 100% a bias on my part. It sounds like angel investing because I'm speaking more about the people, but it's really about the thesis um, that we have about um, the individual being the, the beginning and end of the success of a company. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. 
We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Relative to a lot of black women who come into tech and mm-hmm. over, you know, perform because, because they've had to juggle a lot of things yeah. in life. And when you see studies that have shown that black women do return um, multiples um, mm-hmm. of their investment dollars, talk to me about what it means to you, you know, for to see other black women more of late start to see recognition as people who can make returns for investors and build great companies. Yeah, I don't. I feel um, that's a great question. I feel I have mixed feelings about that. Primarily because um, women of color have been, from a demographic perspective, the leaders in entrepreneurship for decades in the United States. And so it feels kind of late. It feels um, uh, flat that we're being acknowledged. It's like, okay, all right. I mean, it's, it's only been here for like, Forever, like if you call back to Madam C.J. Walker, it's like that's a long time to right. wait for someone to say, "Oh, you guys actually might be good." Right. I think for me, and I think it, it extends beyond just Black women. I think it extends, as I as I as I've mentioned before, it extends to um, young people in rural communities who are really um, incredibly capable and and never get their shine. It extends to Black men. It extends to to Asian women, and it extends to you know Hispanic people. It extends to all of us. Like you know, the idea that um, that on on a basis of nothing else except the way I show up in the world, you would have doubt. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not thrilled that it's being acknowledged because I think that the the value of that experience of being unacknowledged for so long is that we realize that it's not actually about acknowledgement. The power is in what we build. The power is how we connect to customers. The power is how we drive returns. The power is to the legacy that we lead and what we built. And that's really the thing that matters. And what I'm encouraged by is that more and more people are expecting not to be acknowledged and suiting up for it anyway. I mean, that's that's the thing that's most exciting for me. Is it dangerous, and you'll see it every once in a while on Twitter, a founder will not out a name, but out a VC. <laughs> The experience of yeah, the VC. Very recently, um, yeah. Yes. And so is it dangerous for particularly black women, but black men also, to talk about their negative experience with VCs publicly? Yeah, no. And, and I think about this a lot because I'm one of these people who, I mean, even by appearance, I like I suit up for the thing and being very polite and respectful is, <laughs> is a part of my personality. Um, I thought about this. I don't think so. I think it's more valuable that folks are speaking up. I think there are two tracks. You can do it publicly, like in Twitter, as the universe that you do it. And I think that that's more of a signal. It can be quite explosive. And I think that people have varying degrees. People who feel that they are being described in those negative experiences, right, as being the aggressor, the offender of the negative experiences, will have reactions, right? But the thing I've noticed, and this exists with um, entrepreneurs of all backgrounds, the really good ones, figure out how to build a network and back channel that information all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So we have two choices, 
right? We have the lane to be explosive every now and again. I think that people who want to do that should feel empowered to do that and should be loud about that because um, there is a narrative idealizing what it means to be an entrepreneur and a founder. There's a narrative idealizing what it means to be a venture capitalist. I think that the more disruption and honesty and sunshine we put on what it's really like, I think the better. It'll help people make smart choices. And then conversely, for I think it encourages people to be more comfortable back-channeling what it was really like to have a meeting with VCX or Banker Y or Angel Investor Z. Like that's really important. The path to growth for people who have been sort of overlooked for a really long time is getting more and more comfortable about sharing information as candidly as possible. It's the only way you can decide how to do the right deal for you and how to avoid mistakes is when someone says, mm, I talked to that person. I don't think so, or this is what I learned, and this is how you navigate that. Yeah. The more we practice and uh, exercise that muscle of being candid, the better off we're all going to be, because it'll short circuit who we let into our deals for our very, very great companies, especially since our pri the prices of our deals tend to be a lot lower, because we don't anticipate um, sort of a rush of, of capital when yeah. we're trying to build something. Talk to me about venture capital, specifically in New York. Mm -hmm. What's different about doing it here versus Silicon Valley yeah. or Chicago or in Atlanta? I think I've been thinking about this a lot and um, I have a good side of what's different and I have a bad side <laughs> and I'm happy to share both. Um, I think that um, what's good about New York um, is the companies that we build, they tend to be further, a little bit beyond like team and dream. I think that has to do with New York's personality as a city, right? Um, we're the financial capital of the world, we're fast. Yeah. Um, the expectation of it being done yesterday is a very real <laughs> thing that seeps into um, the, uh, this community. And so people are more inclined, as opposed to in the Valley, to show up with a thing. This is the core idea flushed out. This is how much money. I think that the investors are much more aggressive about proving, getting an entrepreneur to prove out what they're doing before they write a check. I think that's good, right? That sort of validates what's being built. Um, I think the downside in New York is that is also our personality. We are a town that, on one hand, is really good about, um, we have the financial industry, we have entrepreneurship, we have hustle. We also have, um, I'm gonna try not to curse. <laughs> you can we say also have say. Um, the BS of press. Yeah, we're, a com yeah. we're a community that marketing and branding is a thing that, that, is a, that is a part of our world. So I share that to say that there's a lot in this community that is held up in the press as successful company, as a strong venture capital firm, as people who care about diversity, as, and it's all just about the matter, all just an indicator of the last reporter they spoke to, not what they've actually done, right? And so, yeah. and so it's to both good and bad are byproducts of the personality of the city, but um, it's a very, very real thing. More in recent years than ever, probably, there's more opportunity for um, diverse founders to get funded. Mm -hmm. Now, there's still, we still got some ways to go. Yeah. And there's more opportunity for people who look like you and I to be in the seats that you yeah, sit in. For sure. Can you talk about the opportunity for people like us in the tech industry and the entire ecosystem and what yeah. you see? I, I am just, um, I am super excited about where we are right now in terms of um, 
access to technology and thereby therefore what anybody can build and therefore what anyone can invest in um, and, and to the satisfaction of the customer people want to serve. Like, I'm super excited about that. Primarily, um, you, said, you mentioned earlier about the new recognition that women of color are getting as entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I'm, ha I'm excited for it, but I'm glad they're late, right? <laughs> um, the thing about it is that founders of color are people who aren't from the coasts. I see them as an overlooked and undervalued asset class, right? Their deals, the, the expectation for what they want to raise is a lot lower, right? Um, even when they're well networked, it's a lot lower. Um, so the deals are cheaper to get into. And by every metric we've seen for the last 40 years, these founders work twice as hard just to get into the door. And so imagine a world in which the asset is overperforming, but cheaper, like that's like a clear arbitrage opportunity. And as an investor, it's something that I want to spend all of my time focused on. Um, I am excited about um, the fact that where in the past or when I was growing up, right, I had to be in every engineering program and every advanced mathematics program in order to figure out if I was talented. Now a young person can get on YouTube on their phone and figure out how to code this, how to build that, you know, bar, you know where, where can I find a 3D printer to build out a prototype. Like the access to test and learn, like the barriers are much, much lower, right? We're removing um, all of these qualifiers that flawed people, because we're all flawed, created to decide who could build something great. And it's gonna shift um, who gets to build the future and it's gonna be more aligned with our everyday needs and more aligned with what the mass, the problems that the masses are dealing with. And that tends to be people who are browner, queerer, more femme, and not from the coasts. Just by sheer geography and mm -hmm. space, mm -hmm. not everybody can live in a Silicon Valley or New York. Sure. Right? And they and, shouldn't. And they shouldn't. <laughs> and so there are many people in our audience and um, who are trying to build technology companies and are in Oklahoma or yeah. in Georgia or in Ohio or Kentucky. And how, what should happen in the ecosystem globally of technology and venture that pays more attention and gives more credit to those startups that could be incredibly viable but don't have the network? to get to a person like you? It's our game to lose. Invariably, right, what will happen is you can't stop, a person on a mission with a clear vision is like a freight train. You can't stop it, right? They'll, it'll take them longer to get there if they're not networked and all that, but you can't stop it. And it's really our game to lose. I think that venture itself as a, as a space um, is not as wanted as it once was, is not as admired as it once was. People are getting more and more creative at what it takes to fund their companies. Um, and so really I would flip the question, the, the real concern or the real urgency is on the part of investors and whether or not they are racing to get there because those folks are going to build, right? It just, like it's not what it was 20 years ago, right? They have the capability to build. And I wanna encourage those folks, those founders in Oklahoma, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, you know, in Dayton, Ohio, to like, yes, it's hard, right? It's harder to find capital, it's hard to find people you wanna collaborate with, but it's not the end of the world. People in New York are building offshore engineering teams. That means that people in Dayton, Ohio can too. And those offshore engineering te teams are cheaper than you can find in New York and San Francisco, which means they're also cheaper for you in Dayton, Ohio. You follow? Like it's, 
It's just a whole new world. And if you believe that your product, your technology should live in the world, there's a way to get there. Now, I think that um, some folks are on the coast are being more and more open to discovering uh, folks that are building in these communities. But, you know, High Alpha is not in, in New York, it's in Indianapolis, right? Like, there are folks that are moving. Like, there are, there are whole hubs and communities in Denver, Colorado, right? There's a community being built in Salt Lake City, Utah. Like, that's what's happening because smart people are waking up to the fact that, that you guys are out there and that it's our game to lose if we don't get in it. We should be rushing, uh, we should be rushing to you. Um, I think that that will be the case for, for a period of time and, and, and you can't encourage people to do the smart thing, we just have to figure it out. And that's, and I mean that to investors who are overlooking those communities. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech from the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. And it's produced by Morgan DeBon and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis, Adam Sims, and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the one? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode is already on YouTube, so tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.